From WDBM, East Lansing. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. Our weekly news and storytelling program. Made by and for the students of Michigan State University. You are listening to The The Undercurrent. From WDBM East Lansing, welcome to The Undercurrent Season 10, Episode 4. This one is called Certain Death. I'll be your host, Cole Tuttingly. In this show, we'll explore the inevitable through two very different stories about facing death. Though it may seem like this episode will be all gloom and doom, it's actually quite hopeful. We beg you to consider if death is ever inevitable until the moment it comes. You may feel doomed. You may feel like the end is near. But nothing is certain until the Grim Reaper knocks on your door. Sometimes life finds a way. First, reporter Sophie Sagan tells the story of an innocent man sentenced to death. It took over two decades to get free, but he finally did. He avoided what must have felt for those 25 years, like certain death. After that, I have a story that explores climate change and the possibility of hope in this dark, dark world. As it crashes down around us, what is there to do? With my cat Bartleby as inspiration, I dive into our current situation, our doomsday clock. The 12-year deadline handed to us by a recent report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that has forced the threat of global warming to the front of my mind. All that is coming up next. But first, maybe you like this episode. Maybe when it's over, you're left feeling a little empty, like you need more. More undercurrent. Well, I have the answer for you. Every single episode of our show, it's all 10 seasons, are available online at our website. That's impact89fm.org slash the hyphen undercurrent. You can listen to them anytime you want. Even in the middle of the night, they'll still be there when no one else is. The Undercurrent, again, you can find it online at our website. It's impact89fm.org slash the hyphen undercurrent. It'll all be okay. Now, the story of Jimmy Dennis, from the perspective of his friend Tracy Lamori. Dennis spent over two decades facing certain death on death row, but he was entirely innocent, convicted basically on the eyewitness testimony of three people. According to NBC News, Dennis told the judge, quote, I just want the nightmare to end, end quote, while making the deal that got him out of prison and back into the world, where he finally has a chance to pursue a music career something he's been waiting a long time to do. Reporter Sophie Sagan sat down with Lamori for an interview. Here's that story. On October 22, 1991, 17-year-old Shadell Williams was walking with a friend to buy subway passes in northern Philadelphia. Two men approached the girls walking up the steps of the Fern Rock Septa station and demanded that Shadell give them her gold earrings. When she refused, one of the men chased her into the street, took the earrings, and shot her point-blank in broad daylight before jumping into a getaway car and speeding off. Shadell would not survive her injuries and was pronounced dead not long after arriving at the hospital. On the same day, in a different part of Philadelphia, 
21-year-old Jimmy Dennis was riding a city bus, oblivious to this crime. At that time, Jimmy was part of an up-and-coming music group called Sensation. The group was a local success, but was also starting to gain significant attention from outside of the community. As I looked into this case, some sources speculate that he was in fact only a couple weeks away from signing a contract with a major record label. But instead of pursuing his dreams in the music industry, Jimmy would be convicted of Shadell's murder and spend 25 years on death row, all because of a few shaky eyewitnesses and some clothing seized from his father's house that incidentally went missing before it could be photographed or cataloged by police. When Jimmy first caught wind of rumors that he might potentially be involved with the shooting, he went to the police station himself to try and clear up any confusion. But this was a high-profile case, and the justice system wanted to punish someone, even if the evidence didn't match up. Here's Tracy Lomori, one of the activists responsible for kick-starting the Free Jimmy Dennis campaign, and one of Jimmy's longtime friends. At trial, like way back when he was originally convicted, it was clear that they knew there was nothing wrong with the case. And I mean, he didn't, he, he's six inches or something like that, shorter than the person that was described as the shooter. Shadal was tall, five foot ten to be exact, but plenty of eyewitnesses and a ballistics test reported that her attacker had to be even taller than her. Jimmy, on the other hand, stood at only five foot four, but this didn't matter to the prosecutor, or in the end, the jury. And they literally said, which blows my mind in the closing argument, this is not about race, weight, or height. This is about the right that is right. The right to cross the street without getting, you know, so basically they're saying, yeah, it's not about whether or not we've got the right guy, which they didn't. It's about making a point, And that's what happened. After the trial, fast forward to 1998. Jimmy had been in prison for six years when someone paid to list him on a website to put prisoners in contact with pen pals. This is where Tracy and her husband, David Parkinson, first enter the story. And he was saying, I don't want a pen pal. This is just literally the only way I have to reach the outside world. I need help. I'm innocent. I, I, I did not do this crime. And for some reason, just social justice activists that we were, um, that caught our eye. For some reason, something about that plaintive you know, cry for help caused my husband and myself to write him a letter. And he responded, not just with a, you know, a, a couple pages of a letter, but he sent us all kinds of legal documentation, just two or three inches you know, of files that was available at that time. Um, and even that alone was you know, truly disturbing enough for us to be like, what? Somebody can be put to death on this kind of evidence? How is this possible? And again, because it was the early days of the internet, and we were activists, but we didn't know how to deal with something like this. Uh, we just thought, well, maybe if we put the same information up that has so disturbed us, other people who might have the means to help, maybe a lawyer, maybe, you know, who knows, somebody can get involved and help. And so that's what we did. And so began the 20-year journey to free Jimmy Dennis, with Jimmy working right alongside with everyone else. We didn't realize that, you know, when somebody's still on death row, it's really hard to, to make media pay attention to something like that. Um, but we did. We ended up getting stories from Turkey to Germany to Canada to all over the world. And that generated um, a, a little support team of about 20 people that, you know, some came and some went over the years as they got married or they left or they moved or, you know, had different things in their lives where they were able to um, to contribute more or less time at different times. But we ended up with a, a really uh, supportive team I love that it was this way because I love that it wasn't the cause. It wasn't us going in there and rescuing this guy. And I mean, he literally, you know, we would argue with him. Like It wasn't like, oh, thank you, thank you, wise, wonderful ones for helping me. I'm just the prisoner. You know, it wasn't like that. It was like he was our friend. 
he was our team member. He would have a voice in it like anybody else, you know? We would debate strategy, or if he didn't like something, he would tell us. <laughs> we would tell him. Of course, they could never be sure that their efforts would pay off. There was always that looming awareness that things could go wrong, and an innocent man could be put to death. But there was Jimmy still sitting on death row. And, you know, we were terrified that he would be executed because we had other people get executed. Like I said, there were, I have a letter from a guy that was, you know, writing us from the death house in Texas an hour before he was killed. My husband had a phone conversation with a, um, I think it was a Missouri prisoner, uh, literally again, an hour before he was executed when he phoned us to thank us for our work. So we knew that could happen. This wasn't a game. And I think if that had happened with Jimmy, I mean, I can't even conceive of it because we knew he was absolutely innocent. We'd become deeply involved with his family. We, I don't know how I would have felt or how I would have even, we would have functioned. Sounds funny to say that probably one of the most moral, kind people that I know I met on death row. But that's a fact. Regardless, they kept at it. In 2000, the Washington, D.C.-based law firm Arnold and Porter got involved in the campaign. They took on the case, and they had a team of five, six, seven lawyers literally for 17 or 18 years, or 17 years. That's like over a million dollars for sure in billable hours, probably as of five years after they got involved with the case. But they were as passionate as we were. They took this on. They became, you know, brothers and sisters to Jimmy as well. And ultimately, you know, he was free. The turning point in Jimmy's case came in 2013, when Judge Anita Brock overturned his conviction and ordered that he be retried in six months or otherwise be released. In her statement, she called what happened a grave miscarriage of justice. That was as, as emotional as the day he got out almost. Because to him, it was all, as, I mean, freedom was one thing, but clearing his name was just as important. Despite Judge Brock's decision, Jimmy was not released for another four years. In 2016, the full U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit upheld the overturning of Jimmy's conviction, and he was finally released in May of 2017. There's a YouTube video of Jimmy sitting in his lawyer's car the day he's let out of prison. He and his wife are in the back seat. Jimmy's in a suit, sitting quietly. When his lawyer asks him if there's anything he'd like to say, he just smiles, and everybody laughs. Jimmy doesn't say much until right at the very end. Any words you want to say before we leave? <laughs> I've never seen that face on Amy before. That is fantastic. All right, get in the car. Let's go. Today is an okay day. It kind of goes without saying that a lot has changed since 1998. Tracy was a telemarketer in Toronto, Canada, when all this began, and now she's a successful publicist. One of the DAs that was involved in keeping Jimmy behind bars for the last 20 years is in prison himself now on corruption charges. The police involved in his arrest are currently involved in multiple lawsuits. And Jimmy? He's restarting the music career that was stolen from him 21 years ago. He has a new single called You Said, and once again it's gaining attention from respected labels. He likes to say, you know, anybody anywhere in the world, it could mean something to them. It's not specific to his experience on death row. It's a love song. But if you know that story, the the emotion in the voice is just amazing. And it's garnering some pretty serious attention. So this story could actually end with him not only being freed from death row, but ending up on the charts, you know, where he thought he would be 21 years, 25 years ago. We're going to play you the song next. But I just want to quickly say that just because the story has a happy ending does not mean that the judicial system in the United States works. Jimmy Dennis still had 25 years of his life stolen from him. While he was a prisoner, he missed the birth of his second daughter, and he didn't get to go to his father's funeral. He missed the birth of grandchildren and years of living in the same house with his wife. 
Today, he suffers from PTSD. This story is ultimately about hope and resilience and victory, but I don't want anyone to forget that the state of our prison system is abysmal. Over 2 million people are incarcerated in America today, and over 2,500 of them are on death row. Until last year, one of them was Jimmy Dennis. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cole Huntingly, and you're tuned in to The Undercurrent on Impact 89 FM. That was reporter Sophie Sagan. You can find Jimmy's music on several online streaming services, including Spotify and Tidal. Did you know 20 states still have the death penalty? I think a better kind of world is possible. One in which no person has to sit for decades wondering if they're going to die. A world without a prison system at all is something to strive towards. I think a better kind of justice is possible. There's a great book about this called Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. I think you can find that online. Next, an examination of climate change, asking what's in store for planet Earth. It also has a whole lot of speculation about the apocalypse. It's an essay, kind of, by me called Preparing for Climate Change with my cat, Bartleby. Here it is.
A dire warning this morning from climate experts. A UN panel says governments around the world must take rapid action to curb rising temperatures, or else millions around the world face future disaster. Margaret Evans joins us in London with more. So, Margaret, what can you tell us about this study? Bartleby the cat came from the forest. I was in no way prepared to take care of him, but I adopted him anyway, last December. Now I'm 21. He's about two. The average lifespan of a cat is 16 years, so I'll be about 35 when he dies in about 2032. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change recently released a report that drew from over 6,000 scientific publications. It predicts that catastrophe and disaster are on the way. Well, they're basically saying that the very livability of our planet is at stake. That Earth has until 2030 to get its together. Selfish as I am, I think of Bartleby first. A cat who could see the end of the world. It is so crucial that these warnings are heeded. My now. cat could be there when stuff really starts to go wild. What will it be like? Maybe a revolution or a military coup? Will the Wi-Fi go out? Will the grocery stores close? Will we spend these days at war, desperate and cruel? Or will this end up being a new beginning? A chance for humanity to possibly remedy some of its awful, awful mistakes. Bartleby and I must consider these possibilities. Trump administration recently published a report about the devastating effects global warming will have on the country over the next 80 years. The environmental impact statement in that report says by 2100, the Earth's temperature will be seven degrees hotter. love Bartleby. He walks around my bed while I nap, freely stepping over and on my stomach and legs like I don't exist. It's so calming to be loved by something that wouldn't notice, wouldn't even hesitate if you were replaced with someone else entirely. It's him I gotta protect, because while he could easily live without me, I can't imagine letting him die of anything but old age. It would kill me. Until that happens, it's up to me to feed him, protect him keep him safe and happy. When thinking of climate change, I try not to let my imagination and general nervousness get the best of me. There are many fantastical apocalypse scenarios you can dream up. Maybe it's me and Bartleby going on pilgrimage to the guillotining of the nation's billionaires, like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and the executives of those 100 oil companies responsible for 71% of all global emissions, too. I'm sure we'd be pretty angry at those guys. Just me and Bartleby on a trip to view some great display of public anger to keep those who are left alive appeased while the world burns. Maybe it's Bartleby and I filling a silo with cat food on some remote farm, doomsday prepping ourselves like those people on TV. They call me the Doris Day of Doom because I'm preparing for a black swan event like a catastrophic New Madrid earthquake. Learning to shoot and catch mice. Learning to survive all alone. Maybe it's Bartleby and I living fearfully in the city, under some authoritarian leader, like hostile alien overlords or President Jake Paul. We together made 
made history. So I want to say thank you to everyone who's a part of it. The Robo Koch brothers are a death cult of ultra-rich fundamentalist neoconservatives based here in Michigan, in the DeVos family's playground, Grand Rapids. Me and Bartleby would read books together and meet with eco-terrorists on Wednesday nights or something. Apparently, someone unmoored the Sequest in the middle of the night, setting her adrift. No one was hurt, but the yacht struck the dock as the crew struggled to get her back under control, sustaining an estimated five to $10,000 in damage from scrapes and scratches. Maybe it's Bartleby and I dead, the world descending into chaos like in a blockbuster movie all around us. These are just a few of the many fantasies that I could dream up. They're all useless. Useless because climate change, disaster, the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, is already here and will continue to creep forward, growing in intensity until it's as unbearably obvious to all of us as a bad case of tinnitus. Consider the victims of Hurricane Maria, who've been ignored by the U.S. government. He's been saying that he believes that Hurricane Maria was an unsung success for the federal government, that they did everything that they could, and now he's saying that these claims that there might have been more people dying as a result of this storm are all part of what he called uh, done by Democrats in order to make me look bad. The hundreds of people killed by floods and landslides and typhoons in Japan, an island nation already prone to disaster. The thousands of people dying from extreme high temperatures in Pakistan, where global warming has induced an almost year-round summer. Tragedy and death caused by climate change happens every day. The IPCC report gave us a deadline. One last line to cross, a final, please, God, stop, before we all spiral out of control. But around the world, many folks are facing the consequences already in 2018. countries like Canada, you're seeing rising temperatures, potentially more forest fires, but all the things that we're seeing in terms of the climate, flooding, drought, they're saying you're just going to get more of that and that it could in fact, um, you know, impact the future of our planet for future generations. But now... Here in Michigan, Bartleby and I are about as safe as can be. I can graduate college and work as a lawyer or a writer or maybe a radio journalist to support us. We can drink freely from the Great Lakes. I can check Twitter for updates on the end of the world while Bartleby sleeps on my stomach. Our grocery stores will stay open. Our world will stay together for a long time. And it'll likely be the last place that climate change even touches. Michigan also appears to have warmed at a faster rate since 1984. If Michigan continues to warm at the faster rate, Michigan's average annual temperature would be similar to Cincinnati, Ohio by 2114. Michigan's if I'm right, then I guess the important thing for Bartleby and I will be knowing exactly where we stand. On stolen ground in the U.S. of A., one of the world's most ambitious and efficient exporters of planetary ruin be it through pollution or war or sabotage. We're currently barreling ourselves literally towards death, as though when Trump declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel, he literally brought about the rapture like those fundamentalists said it would. According to the Washington Post, in the past few months alone, the White House has attempted to dismiss around a half a dozen rules regulating emissions of greenhouse gases. In the past few weeks, the Trump admin released a report saying that the planet 
will warm 7 degrees by 2100. And because of this, we're doomed enough to just freeze our fuel efficiency standards and barrel down that highway to hell, stopping every so often to fill up our fuel and efficient cars until the end of the century brings about the end of us. Me and Bartleby are going to watch this all happen together. I'm glad he's going to be there with me. I'll pack him in his carrying crate and bring him to the meetings, the protests, and the struggle. It must seem so ridiculous to him, a creature bent on survival, that we would all be led to certain death by some rich idiots. To Bartleby, I imagine fighting back would seem logical. The way he scratches holes in his food bag on those days when I forget to feed him, viciously until it all spills out on the ground. That sort of stuff convinces me he'd be down with the revolution. While the billionaires hide out in their compounds in New Zealand or North Dakota or wherever, Bartleby and I will be here still, waiting for the world to change, and hoping that while we're still alive, we can help out. And that is that. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Cole Tunningly. I didn't mean to get all depressing back there with those climate change statistics and everything. But maybe I sort of did just because I, I can't stop thinking about this stuff. Like, I really can't. It's like I just want a really smart person to go on TV and tell us all that it's all going to be okay. But I know that's not how the world works anymore, and anyone who has the ability to go on TV is probably actively trying to make all of our lives worse. And I also know that any positive change is going to come from a mass movement of people determined to do better, determined to prove that humans belong here on Earth, that we're a part of it, and we care about it. Thank you for listening to this week's show all about certain death. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd also like to thank our programming director, Simon Forenzi, our station manager, Olivia Mitchell, and our general manager, Jeremy Whiting. Thank you also to Sophie Sagan for your work on this episode. And again, I'll thank you twice for listening. So why not? You made it all the way through an episode of The Undercurrent. Maybe you learned something. Maybe you didn't. I hope you at least had a good time. I've been your host, Cole Tunningly. I'll be here same time, same place next week. Bye. Come to death.
Dancing.